Welcome back to the Redneck Tech Podcast brought to you by Diamondback Truck Bed Covers. This week I have got Ryer Porter from the community show out in California in the office. He's came out here to go over some editing stuff and help me on a couple of shoots. Uh, we do a big shoot with Rambo, end up having to drive all the way to Nashville to get a bike, but it was okay because Ryer has never been to the south before, so he got to tour pretty much all of North Georgia and all of Nashville. Uh, you can find Ryer on Instagram at Ryer underscore Porter and the community show at the community show. Uh, we end up talking about a bunch of different things, going over a bunch of edits, getting a lot of shoots done, and Ryer got soaking wet in the river. So here's Ryer. Are you right here, right here? Yeah. You want him? Yeah. Ryer Porter. What's up, dude? How's it going? So, Ryer is here at my office. Uh, he's been here since... When did you get here? I got here real late Tuesday night. Tuesday night. And tonight, today is Saturday. You go home at the butt crack of dawn in the morning. So we got to leave. before the butt crack of dawn. Yeah, we've got to get up at 2.30 to get you down to the airport. So, not much sleep tonight, but we're finally getting time to sit down and do the podcast. I've um, been wanting to do one with Ryer. Um, he has came and hung out with me for the last couple of days and we've been shooting some stuff and going over edits and just trying to work with him on some stuff, which I'll be the first to tell you, he doesn't need near as much work as I think he thinks he needs. Um, he's head and shoulders above where I was at his stage in the game. Um, doing some really cool stuff, working with Mark Groupie in California, Mark Groupie Outdoors, producing the community web show. Mm -hmm. Tell me about yourself. Well... I guess we can start. I got a big red beard, so that's normally the <laughs> first is, thing. He is an absolute <laughs> self-proclaimed ginger. It is hilarious to talk to him about it. You just got to accept it. Yeah. If if you try to not accept it, then you're just going to get hurt all the time. People making fun of gingers. So well, one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, and I hope he's listening to this. Kyle Scott is a ginger, and we call him the Ginger Ninja. But he is a he is a he's a great dude, and we love to. We love to aggravate him about it, but he's just like you. He owns it too. He's, That's a he's, great nickname. He's cool with it. Yeah. I'd 100% be down with that nickname. Yeah. So how did you get to California? Where are you from? All that good stuff. Well, I grew up in uh, Colorado, just north of Colorado Springs, if anybody's familiar with that, in the town of Monument. I uh, went to school out there. I did a year of school at Colorado State University. Uh, go Rams, I guess. And then I moved to California, Lodi, I don't know, two and a half, you three to, years ago. You need to tell people where, because when people hear California, they think oh, San Francisco, L.A. Where? Sure. Talk, tell me about what area, because I've been there one time, probably two years ago, and it is not what you think is California. So Lodi is, it's a wine town. A lot of the crops that they grow there is grapes. It's in the Central Valley, so really the agricultural center of, of California. It's about an hour south of Sacramento, if people know what that is, maybe two and a half hours uh, east of uh, San Francisco. Uh, but it's pretty much in the agricultural part of California. It's not a big city. It's a real small town. It's it's completely different than what you think of California. Yeah, it's not. And, and Ryer is not what you think of when you think of California either. He is not the typical Californian with skinny jeans and man buns and all that good stuff. He's... he's in the easiest way to put it, he's our people. Um, but it was cool when I went out there because 
we went to eat at like the local Denny's. I think it was like right outside Mark's house. And yeah, right at, at the right at the Flying J. Everybody, everybody in there drove a truck and was wearing camouflage. And I was like, I thought I was in the Twilight Zone. I was like, Are y'all sure I'm in California right now? But y'all do a lot of filming. Mark's got a his family has a ranch there in Mariposa. Mariposa, right? which is near Yosemite. If yeah, people know where that is. Y'all do a lot of hog hunting and turkey hunting and stuff there. Hog hunting, uh, turkey hunting. We've got doves and quail Mm -hmm. we've got some deer there not a whole bunch uh, but there are some deer there but and you'll also do some traveling for hunting as well we do yeah a bit and that kind of leads me to the next thing is like you said that you kind of feel like a butthole sometimes (laughs) when people talk to you about what you do for a living filming and getting to hunt all the time but you did not grow up hunting nor do you really hunt now other than behind a camera you've never killed anything no it's it's just not something you always wanted to tell me about that yeah, I guess I, you know, listen to your podcast all the time and a uh, huge question that you always get I hear is people just fighting tooth and nail to do this job yeah, to 100%. get to break into it, which always makes me feel kind of like a jerk cuz I literally fell into it by accident. Uh I didn't grow up hunting. So it, I feel I feel the hate. So much hate for you right now. But go ahead. <laughs> it's okay. I've accepted it by now. <laughs> uh I I didn't grow up hunting. I it was never something that I didn't want to do. There was never a conscious. It's I not don't want to. Your hunt. parents did or family did. It's just I have an uncle. But who you grew hunts. up in Colorado, so sure. somebody in your family had to hunt. Well, my family does. I my immediate family was in Colorado. My mom's side of the family lives in Southern California, okay. and my dad's side lives in Pennsylvania. Okay, so, so yeah, that's a that's a little we're, distance. We're split. Yeah. Uh, I have an uncle who hunts deer in Pennsylvania. Okay, but. I just never really got but the opportunity up, yeah, but growing to. Growing up in Colorado, nobody hunted. That's crazy. It's I like knew a, I knew people's dads who hunted. That's like yeah. Well, I mean, like in your family, I just can't believe that. That's like a hunter's paradise is in Colorado. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, and you grew, grew up near near Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. So you didn't grow up hunting. How did this? How did you fall into this job? How did you fall into the? And I'm doing huge air quotes here. The dream job of filming outdoor television, outdoor content. Well, I uh, I moved to Lodi, and my mom was friends with Mark's wife. They did yoga together at mm-hmm. a hot yoga studio. California, baby. Yep. Got to do your yoga. Absolutely. You know, and they'd go have some vegan snacks afterwards. and, <laughs> and uh, Not drink out of straws. No, of yeah, course we not. We can go forever with that one. Uh, and, you know, I kind of did some different jobs. I worked uh, a little construction. I worked some plumbing. I worked at a auto body shop. And my mom knew that I, I lo- I've always loved the outdoors and she was just talking to uh, Michelle, Mark's wife about, she had a son who really liked the outdoors and stuff like that. And she goes, I think my husband's looking for somebody to do some outdoors type of work. Let's see what that is and maybe get them hooked up. And so one day I went to uh, hang out with Mark, kind of see what, what he was looking for. I figured it was going to be some sort of ranch hand sort of stuff. Uh, he, I walked in, we, he talked about how he had an idea, he wanted to really uh, film some hunts and, and make videos, and he said, have you ever filmed anything? I went, no. He said, have you ever edited anything? I said, no. Uh, he said, are you good with a computer? I said, I'm decent, I get around, you know, I can work my way around a computer. And uh, he handed me a MacBook Pro with a hard drive full of elk hunting footage and sent me home with it, which is astonishing. He had met me for no more than a couple hours. I guess he might have knew where you lived. He would come get it if he needed to. Yeah. Well, Mark's just that kind of guy. Yeah. He's a real nice guy, real trusting, and 
sent me home with that and I cut it up not well. Uh, but it's I, been well enough. It was good enough because he, he gave me a couple other projects to do like that. And then eventually he said uh, he wanted to go full time. And here we are doing it full time. And you've been doing it full time for how long? I want to say two years, two, two and a years, half, something a like that. Years. Yeah, I feel like I'm it was not a little best. over. It was two years or a little over two years when I was out there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's probably about I, right. I had just turned 21 when you came out. My 21st birthday was when you were out there. Okay. And so I'm 23 now. Okay. So, yeah, two years, some change, two and a half. just a baby. I know. Just a baby. Well, so you've been here for the last couple of days. You've helped me on some shoots. Like, what have we been doing? What have we been doing the last couple of days? Well, we've done a fair amount of editing. We have done a fair amount of driving. A lot of driving. A lot of driving. Good God. And then uh, we... I like that's all I do. We had that shoot yesterday, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, with Rambo bikes Mm -hmm. and... I don't, I'm just here trying to observe how you do things, kind of just take it all in, see what I can and glean. And is, is it rocket science? It's not, no. but there's been there's been some moments where you've said just little things. Yeah. I went, oh, I didn't even know that my camera could do that, or I didn't know that Premiere could do that, or just little things like that that have been kind of eye-opening. Yeah, and, and there's things like that that I, I've picked up along the way, too, you know, with other people. I pick them up all the time, which you mm-hmm. told me about something, yes, last night, that Backblaze oh, yeah. um, for backup that I'd never heard of. And if you want to look at the backup for your computer, Backblaze, $50 a year, which I told Briar I was going to keep this a secret, but um, maybe Backblaze will call and want to sponsor the podcast. No, I'm just kidding. But Backblaze is $50 for a whole year, and it will back up your computer and all the network, and all the hard drives attached, correct? Because you're using it for 50 bucks a year. Mm-hmm. That's unreal. That sounds entirely too good to be true, but you have done it and proven that it works. Yeah, we we pulled up my whole hard drive. Yeah, that's last night. in California right now on on your computer here in Georgia. In Georgia, a long way on my on my blazing fast twenty five down one point five meg up internet. Yeah, that's I'm not lying. That's how fast my internet is. It's absolutely <laughs> terrible. But you know what? And the reason we had to drive so much, just to go back to that, is mm-hmm. we were. I had two or three shoots that I had planned for us to do and some right. edits and stuff. I wanted to try and do as many different things as I could, which t- later today we're actually going to go out. We're going to kind of do a hike, get ready for an elk hunt, which we're going to talk about that in a minute, mm-hmm. um, and uh, do some pictures and stuff on the hike and just do some content. But the reason we had to drive so far is we were had this Rambo project that we've been wanting to do, and uh, the bike that was supposed to be here for me to shoot wasn't here. So the closest one was in Chattanooga. So me and you got in the truck, and Chattanooga is only about an hour and a half, two hours from here. Not far. So we got in the truck. It was just going to be a you know quick little afternoon, run up there, get the bike, come back, shoot mm-hmm. shoot it the next day. Well, we get there, and there's a miscommunication. The guy brought the wrong bike. So we had to drive two more hours to Nashville to his house, get the correct bike, and drive all the back. And that, the quick little drive in the afternoon turned into an absolute all-day affair, and we got back at midnight. So we got the bike, and we shot that all day yesterday and edited it pretty much most of the day-to-day. So that's what all the driving happened. We weren't, it wasn't in the plans. We drove a, a little bit yesterday around the mountains trying to find clean water because it's been raining here for a solid week. Yeah, not too much though. Maybe half an yeah. hour, 45 minutes. So what are some of the things, you know, over the last couple of days that you feel like you've taken away? Um, good, bad, and different, you know, because like, you know, when people call me and they, or they talk to me or email me or text me or message me on Instagram and they're like, and how do I do this? And they, how do I do that? Or how do I get into this industry or whatever? 
they to me it always seems like kind of like what your perception was is they feel like this job or this profession is so hard to do mm-hmm. and i tell them all the time man if i can do it anybody can do it you know and, and i just if nothing else i just kind of want you to squash the perception of this is unattainable because it's not you know but with that being said not to get off topic because i we already said we were going to go down rabbit holes sure. i talked to a lot of guys that asked those questions but they've waited until they're in their late 20s or early 30s to ask that question of how do I get a job doing this or how do I learn or how do I improve and they can't dedicate the time or the money or the effort to doing it because they have a 9 to 5 they have a wife and kids and their time to dedicate to improving is so limited and once you get to that place in your life you have to be I mean, your family comes first. You know, chasing a a dream, it it inevitably takes a back seat. And I was lucky enough, or I would never say smart enough, I was lucky enough to try and get into this early enough to where it didn't matter. You know, I was was newly married, but I didn't have kids. And I told you this, if I I would have had kids when I tried to get into this line of work, I don't think I would have ever done it because I would have already been in a job where I had security, and I wouldn't have been able to step out essentially on faith and do it. But, you know, when I first got married, I did, we didn't need a lot. You know, we lived in a garage apartment. Um, my wife was working at the time. You know, I didn't have to make that much money. So it's like when an opportunity came up or I could jump onto something, I could just go. Um, and I feel like that. I feel sorry for guys that want to do it really bad. I feel like they want to do it as bad as I did or even worse, but they can't. Or it's not that they can't, but it's going to be much harder for them to make the leap than it would be for somebody like in your position, single, not married, you know, not really anything holding you down. I mean, you could pick up, I mean, heck, if you got an opportunity to do something in, you know, wherever, you name a state, name a place, if it's something you wanted to do, you know, probably within, yeah, probably within the means, you could do it. And I think that's half the battle, you know, if guys listening that this is something they want to pursue, well... Pursue it while you can, because once you can't, you know, once you get that job or get that wife or get those kids, not to say those are, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying wife and kids are like an anchor that drags you down, but I'm saying that this is a, this is a career that you have in order to get into the place to where you need to be to make enough money to support a family, you got to do it before you get a family. Because if you get a family trying to do this, when you're starting out, you don't make very much money at all. I mean, I made my first year, I made like $35,000. Well, just like any other trade, you have to have time to develop your skills and experience. But in order to do that, you either have to have a significant other that makes a lot of money, or you have to do it early enough to where you don't need a lot of money. Or you can live on next to nothing, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Which, see, I mean, exactly. But to get back to my... My question, what, you know, what have you learned? What is, what's jumped out at you? What's been the aha moment for you? If any, if not say, you know, Caleb sucks and we'll, we'll just end this That's thing now. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I guess we could just go through kind of chronologically. Yeah. Day by day. Yeah. The first night I got here, I sat and looked through uh, some of your footage that you had shot on a, on a bow fishing bow trip. Bow fishing trip. Yeah. Uh, just one night of it. Cause 
I was still on kind of California time. I wasn't really tired. Yeah, I think I had went to bed because we got home late. Yeah. And I was like, here's the footage. If you want to look through it, I'm going to bed. Yeah. And so I stayed up and looked through the footage. And one of the things that hit me was just how much dialogue you had. And I know that you always say, get dialogue. Always ask your hunters was questions. It more, was it more or less than you would think I would have had? Probably looking at it now and analyzing how often you say get dialogue, mm-hmm. it, pro- it shouldn't have surprised me that you had that much dialogue, mm-hmm. but I, it's more than what I interpreted the amount of dialogue that I yeah. need. Any and, opportunity I get for somebody to talk, even if it's getting them to say something over again, or it's, the sa- or it's the same person, or if it's a different person saying the same thing, like if I got three guys on the boat and I get one to say, hey, what just happened? We just shot a big fish. Well, I'll ask the other two guys what just happened. Because either they're either going to give me a different answer, they're going to give mm-hmm. me a better answer, or they're going to give me a different version of that answer. So you know, it just really goes back to if you want to tell a story in the field, which me and you have talked about about a thousand times because of the film that we're going to try and do in Wyoming, mm-hmm. you have to have dialogue. You have to have interaction. If you're just shooting to shoot, all you have is a music video. If you're shooting montages, that's all you'll have. Anyway, sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt. So I... I, I really took a grasp of that and so i'm going to take that back and really just push for a lot more dialogue mm-hmm. uh, and as much uh, you used it a lot in the edit as well so that was that was interesting to see how you really i mean dialogue was really the backbone of that edit yeah. i would think i, I feel you like could you could correct me if it wasn't no. but it seemed like it really was well i feel like dialogue helps push a story along mm-hmm. i feel like it, it can speed things up it can slow things down it can make them funny it can make them educational I mean, that's a good, good way to describe it. It's the backbone of telling a story. I mean, you, watch any movie, watch any film, watch any documentary. Guess what? There's a lot of talking, a lot of it, and not and not narr- narration talking. Mm-hmm. It's no, the characters no, yeah. talking yeah, to each other. That's a good de- delineation. Yeah, it's not voiceover. It's not you know, uh, you know, a talking head. It's in the field live action dialogue. That's a, yeah. Make sure you say that. I'm good. Glad you said that. So there, there was that. That was interesting to me. I'm definitely taking that back. I just had something on the tip of my head that had to do with that, and I'm going to think of it if I just ramble on enough here. <laughs> maybe. Uh, well, the speed at which you edit was was remarkable to me. And like oh, efficiency. Say, okay. When so, you say speed of edit, like how fast the edit is, or how fast I do it on the computer. Yes. B- both. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Both those things are okay. separate, I suppose. I got you. Okay. Uh, but just mechanically, how fast you edit, just watching that was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that also comes into. See, I don't feel like I'm fast. I've watched fast editors, like I was telling you about Nathan. I've watched fast editors, and I don't feel like I'm fast. But you were editing, and you're like, I feel like a snail. <laughs> oh, you're sitting over there on the couch, and I was doing this stuff, and I, I was just like, I haven't taken so much longer to cut this like little piece of time than he was taking to cut any of these pieces of time. So, well, yeah, I just felt real well, slow. I've been doing, doing it, it but... for like that for seven or so years now. You're two years in. You'll you'll get there. I promise. <laughs> I I think also maybe the style and how you shoot things. You're always talking about editing in your head. And this will come back around to mm-hmm. our shoot yesterday, but you, I could tell that you already knew you weren't really discovering as much what what you were going to uh, form the edit as here at the desk. You you really seem to have 
a plan already with the shots and you had shot so efficiently, you knew what you needed, you got what you needed. And then as you put it together, I mean, you were just, you'd click on a clip and then you go, part of the clip, this is what I want. Drop it. Boom. Next clip, drop it. Boom. Next clip, drop it. And of course there was shuffling around, finding what shots work best with other shots, Mm -hmm. uh, really taking control of the pace, which is another thing that I'll bring up in a, in a, in a minute. Uh, but you really shot in such a way that you weren't wading through and trying to sculpt something out of just this block of footage. You just, you had a story already. You shot the story like it should be in your head and then went from there. And I think the efficiency of shooting like that and you already having the plan in your head assisted in how fast you're able to to edit those things well just like i i I, I just don't overcomplicate it it's simple it's literally a simple story like i've said a thousand times it's a beginning a middle and an end every story has a beginning a middle and an end every scene has a beginning a middle and an end and like you know what was i worried about yesterday you know not having enough or not getting enough and then we get into edit today and we use what 10 percent of what we shot maybe we had to cut some really good stuff to fit it within the time frame that Rambo wanted. Heartbreaking, yeah. We could have probably edited a four or five minute, not film, but like short for Rambo. Easily. But they wanted a one minute piece. So we, I, I, what did I say? I got the first like six or eight clips down where it like 34 seconds and I'm like, Oh crap! <laughs> we're gonna have to <laughs> we're gonna have to trim some stuff that we really want to keep, and yeah. we did. We had to cut a lot of stuff that I really wanted to use. Um, that you know, some big wide establishing shots, some shots that took longer to develop. Mm-hmm. We just didn't have time for them, you know. But that's that's part of it. So, what were you saying about pace? So, pacing is something I guess that first of all, when I got started editing, I had no concept of. Mm-hmm. And it's really a subconscious thing that you don't notice until you notice it. That's a terrible thing to say for a podcast. That was the most uneducational thing I could <laughs> well, have said. The way that but, I explain it to people is if you want to understand pace and get, get, keep holding attention, watch a cartoon with, with, with a kid and see how fast it is. Mm-hmm. And see the pace at which they're essentially, we've trained ourselves to keep up pace, keep the pace up to keep people's attention. That's what you mean by pace, right? Right. So... But being deliberate with it and, and the, the changing of the pace. Mm-hmm. And you were very uh, focused and deliberate about, okay, we just had this pace. Now I want to slow it down. We just had a slow section. Now let's speed up the pace. Let's get into some action, you know, and, and really manipulating that to give people a, a variety of paces. Mm-hmm. And I think... It's something I've been more conscious about lately, uh, not as conscious as you are, and I kind of just think, what is my pace right now, and and go for it, as opposed to really analyzing it from a big picture standpoint like you were doing. Um, I was going somewhere with this. Well, it's and, simple. It f- simplifies itself too, and like you've got to you got to take into account too what we were editing. When you first got here, was a was a, essentially a web series, which is an entire episode, which is mm-hmm. going to be that one will probably be pushing ten minutes when it's done. And there's an opportunity to really work on your pace there, mm-hmm. to speed it up, slow it down, make people you know suck in for dialogue that you really want them to hear, and then really go in with some hard hitting music with big beats 
on action scenes that you want them to be entertained in. So, you know, you slow down the pace and make it quiet to make suck them in to make them listen. And then, you know, the high action pieces where it doesn't really matter what they need to hear as much as what they need to see. Then you can be a little bit more cavalier with your song and your beats and your edits. But those two things are very different when you're talking about a 10-minute web show versus what we did for Rambo, which was a one-minute edit. Right. There's not a whole lot of opportunities to change paces in a minute. You know, you can throw in some stingers or you can throw in some whooshes and you can throw in some, you know, some dead places. But, you know, one minute, I wish I should have counted how many clips were in that one minute piece. That way you kind of get an idea of, you know, there's not a whole lot of opportunity. You have to go in and shooting something like that. You have to go in with an absolute plan in mind. It's not like a web show where you kind of not fake it till you make it or, you know, plan it as you go. But there's a lot of, okay, I'm going to shoot this because I know I can use it. Don't know where I'm going to use it or how or how I'm going to use it. But that's where learning how to transition, learning how to shoot certain shots that you can know from get you to one place to the next. Like, for example, like in that bow fishing show, if I want to end a scene, I know I need to get somebody to say, hey, guys, it's time to move to the next spot. Or, you know, there's no fish here or this water's dirty. Well, once I get them to say that dialogue and I have a shot that shows the boat moving from one place to another, whether that's drone, whether that's high speed, whether that's a second angle like my verb on the back of the boat of us running through the water, all I need is that dialogue and that shot, and I can switch switch scenes or switch locations literally with two shots. But not understanding how to transition from one place to another, somebody might not know how to do that or get from one Like, how do I get from day to night? Well, you know, do a good night lapse, get a good sunset. It says it without saying it. So, right. um, but that, that comes with experience, you know, and I watched the edit that you did and you, you told me to pick it apart and I really didn't have a whole lot to pick apart. You know, there's a couple of little nitpicky things, um, that kind of bothered me personally, which they were very subjective. You know, there's a couple shots in there that I felt like you overproduced some things mm-hmm. or if you would have been a little bit tighter which is going to get to one of the, you know, the things that we wanted to talk about in a little bit of, uh, you know, when to shoot medium. But we'll talk about that in a minute. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But, um, you know, I tried to pick pick it apart for you. Um, but overall, your pace was great. You know, you did a really good job of producing in the field. You did a great shop of, the great, I can't talk, a great job of uh, getting the B-roll shots you needed to tell the story. You overshot the B-roll, which is never a problem, never a bad thing. Uh, you're an editor's dream because they have options. And then, um, you know, you ended things. You you know, you got dialogue in the field. Um, your your edit was a lot more, I guess, action because it was two hunts or two kills. It so it was, you know, a stalk, you know, or an intro, a stalk, a kill, intro, a stalk, and a kill. You know, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. that helps move the pace along. That keeps people interested and entertained. Um and you were telling me about, you know, one of the kill shots was kind of hard to get because you didn't see the hog until right before the shot happened. Yeah. And, uh, but there's also things, even in a web show, where there's things that you'd like to leave in there or there's like things that you'd like to build longer. And then the opposite for me happened with television where there's a lot of stuff I had to leave in there I wish I didn't have to because sure. I had to make it a certain length, you know? So um, that's kind of, that was kind of my takeaway from, Watching, you know, your edit is, and and you're 100% self-taught, right? Right. I, 
I wouldn't say entirely self-taught. I, I, obviously YouTube is oh yeah saved my oh. life and and no, just having no, no necessarily formal education. You didn't go to school for it. No, I I I pretty much the internet and, and reaching out to the guys internet. like you and and Mark and having people just really there to help me along and that's, teach that, me things. See, the, the, there's so much value in that, you know, that, there is. Like, and I've said that a hundred times. That's why I started the podcast is because there's no avenue in which to do that, to, you know, to help guys. And that's, and that's what I want to do. And I get, especially in the, in the specific outdoor space yeah, for yeah. me. Well, because I don't know how to do anything else. It's the only thing I'm good at. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of things that you just, you go watch a, a show on YouTube about a certain filmmaking technique or shooting technique and you then have to think about, okay, is this practical? Can I do this in a hunting scenario? And a lot of times the answer is probably not. Uh, you're just because of hunting is the way that it is. You just can't do a lot of those things. Or you and don't have time to do You don't have time things. to do those things. You don't have, you can't take that gear. It That gear is not practical to set up there, whatever it may be. It. Yeah, and and having, having a, a show like this where you can go, this is and really dive into specializing in filming hunts and, and filming in the outdoor space is invaluable mm-hmm. because you really get those definitive answers that you kind of had to BS your way around before and, and adapt, which, you know, everybody figures it out. So, well, well, I still think that, I still think that really good outdoor producers should and can be able to get a job in about any industry because we're the, shooter we're the producer we're the sound guy we're the the grip we're the, all of those things like having you here the last couple of days on the shoot you know the like the really the one shoot that we did you know it would have taken me a day or two to do that shoot whereas with you it took us four and a half hours i guess just having somebody there to hold something while yeah. you're doing another thing is yeah. you don't even know how nice that is oh until until you're like here hold my camera and they yeah. hold the camera and you hey, do something I need, else. I need that lens. Hold that camera. Let me switch lens. Don't drop it in the water. <laughs> that whole and then we started getting rained on. Oh my gosh! It's all it's done is freaking rain the last week here. But uh, another question you had the other day that I thought was interesting to me because I didn't necessarily have the perfect answer for was. The polished, what was it about polished and unpolished? So I watch my own edits and obviously anybody will tell you you're, you're, you are your own worst critic. Oh, hundred percent. You know, and anybody will know that that's just a given. Uh, you know, all the imperfections with your shots, you know, all the bull crap that went behind them or the problems you had in the edit and other people watch it. They don't see that mm-hmm. and they don't associate that with the edit like you do. So I get that. But when I watch my edits and I go and watch other people's edits, you know, you always go, okay, what, what does theirs have that mine doesn't? Why do I like this one? Why does it look this way? What, what separates theirs from mine? Mm-hmm. What sets theirs apart? And, you know, I watch your stuff or I go watch a, a TV show or, or a really good short film or, heck, you know, you go watch the guys from Rock House Motion and just drool over your entire keyboard for the mm-hmm. whole video yeah and, and you go okay there theirs has a certain intrinsic va- uh quality that i can't you can't put into words uh but it just has a certain feel a certain i guess polish was the best word i could use yeah. and i wanted to know what and i just i knew you might not have a uh verbal answer for it because yeah. it's such a indescribable thing 
what is that polish? What creates that polish? What can I do to have that polish on my videos? Yeah, and, and now that I've kind of had time to think about it, the best answer I can give is number one would be how much time they have to shoot something. Are they having to run and gun and get it done as quickly as they can? Or can they really take their time, set up shots, get light right, um, you know, get settings correct, you know, set up tripod sliders, have the time to do all the things that they need, have time to get ambient audios, have time to, you know, have three and four guys on their crew, you know, what's their budget? I think the biggest thing would be time and budget on something like that because like what me and you did yesterday, if we would have had a really big budget and we could have, you know, run some reds and had a light truck and had all of those things to where we could have set every scene where the light was flat or we had the sun exactly where we wanted it or we had we were in Wyoming doing it on some gorgeous river. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if those those are the things that help polish things a lot of times I feel like and then once you get down to the more I guess underlying reasons is if you take time and budget out of it I think it comes down to really experience of guys that have been there and they've seen a crap edit or they've had to put something together and said man if this producer would have just shot this and this it have made this you know this whole thing so much better or if I had you know if I would have had you know x shot uh, you know, that would really put this over the top. Or, you know, I, and, and then that guy on the back end editing the thing, if he's edited 10,000 videos, he probably knows what he's doing. Um, but I think the major factors are time and budget, and then the, the, the third being experience. If you had to put a, a qualifying factor on what makes a, a polished production versus an unpolished, I think those are the, the three major factors that would determine that. And that's just... You know, and because and, I feel like I feel like that so many times, especially in this outdoor space, people are using things like slow motion and drones and rack focuses and you know whatever it may be. You know, some sort of little quote unquote quote unquote camera trick or um, setting or firmware that they have that they use that as a crutch. And we talked about this a lot mm-hmm. of guys that use high speed and they use drones way too much and they don't tell a story. Is it pretty? Yeah, it's pretty. Everything's cooler in slow motion. I mean, everybody knows that. Automatically. But you can't use those things as an excuse to not tell a good story, to not get that dialogue, to not go get that establishing shot, to not take your extra time and set up your lights better to make those interviews look better or whatever the case may be. I feel like once somebody gets that high speed camera, they think they're Michael Hunsucker and they're not. Um, there things like, and we and you talked about this high speed or slow motion, whatever you want to call it, drones, time lapses, what I call big production elements. Those things are tools in a tool belt to make a well-rounded production. You use them, not necessarily sparingly, but you use them to add value to the story. You essentially use them as B-roll to get you from one place to another or to set up set a scene or to um, establish a location. 
you don't use them to make a montage of, in our case, you know, riding a bike through the woods for an hour and put it to some rock and roll music. That's not hard. That's very, if that's all me and you had to do yesterday, we would have been done in 30 minutes, you know, oh, yeah. but, um, that's not what we were doing. That's not what we were asked to do. Um, and that's not what we did. So, um, we told a story, you know, and I even kind of had an epiphany when we got there on that Rambo shoot, I was going to shoot interviews for it, but I, I don't like shooting interviews. I try and do things where I don't have to shoot interviews. Right. Um, I try and always shoot something where I don't need to interview any interviews whatsoever. So I said, I'm going to produce this just like I would a TV show or a web show. I'm going to get talking in action, you know, and I, and Trevor, the guy that was the talent on the, um, the video, it's his first time ever being on camera. He's never been on camera before in his life. And I th thought he did a really good job. He did. He stumbled around a couple of um, lines, but that's where I come in as a producer to coach him through those things. Hey, Everybody stumbles every through their lines. Oh, my gosh, man. Every I can't even talk on the podcast today, so much less stumbling on camera. If we were filming this, I'd be all falling all over myself. But um, it's one of those things where I, I would just coach him through it. I'd be like, hey, that line was perfect. I just need you to shorten that up a little bit. Hey, I need you to make sure you look at the camera. I need you to make sure you do this. You know, and I think that's, that's what I think when Jim was here, what he really noticed. And I don't even know if we talked about that, but we watched through um, something I shot with Chuck. And essentially, we watched all the interviews, and he heard me coaching Chuck behind the interviews because you watch it, and Chuck is extremely well. He does extremely well on camera. This is our Alberta hunt I filmed with Belmore earlier in the year. He is excellent on camera when you're doing in action. Um, stuff when you're getting dialogue when you ask him hey what are we doing where are we going he's awesome he's witty he's funny he's entertaining and then you get to interviews he's funny he's witty he's entertaining but what most people don't see is what i'm doing or what you're doing or what the producer's doing behind the camera is okay so tell me about this hunt all right make sure you say something about this all right so i'm producing what i want and then he gives it to me in the best version of himself. So, and and he will make, and, and Chuck in particular, will make my ideas better. So I'll have a great idea, and I'll tell him the idea of what to say, and it automatically hits him because he's so witty and he's, done, he's so good at it. He will give me a line that's better than anything I could have thought of. It's the exact parameters of what I wanted said, but he'll give it to me in a way that only Chuck can. And, uh, that's what a producer does, and that's what a talent does, is they take producer's guidance and they make it better. And that's exactly what he does. And that's what I tried to do with Trevor. Trevor never being on camera, he needed to be spoon-fed and handed a little bit more than Chuck would. It's essentially, hey, I need you to tell me, hey, I've been a guide for this many years, and this is what we're doing today. You know, and he, he would stumble through where he would say the wrong line, and I'd be like, hey, that's fine. We can do this as many times as we need to do it. But that's... To me, that's, that is the single most separating factor between the guys that are producing great content and that aren't, is that can produce content in the field and tell the story in the field. You know, I mean, do, do you agree? I agree. I think definitely I if you take a look at, I think if you probably took a look at anybody's work and, and their stories, I think the first phase of, of anything is, you're learning all of the techniques. You're learning all of the stuff. You're learning how to work the camera. You're learning how what buttons to use mm -hmm. in the editing program. And for that period of time, you really, it, it's hard to focus on the story so much because you're just trying to get a whole, like, what can I do? What is there to do? 
And so, you know, those, my first edits were entirely just cool shots and then music. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I think and, it's that and, separation of learning, first learning what all the things are and what they do. And then and why? And then learning how they work together. How you can use all of those cool, you know, gadgety things that you learn how to do. And okay, now how can I utilize those and tell the best story? And that's the separation, you know. And I think having story at the front of your head at all times is is something that, you you know, is really invaluable. If you think, okay, you go out on a hunt, I think, and I'm sure you do as well, is what is the story I'm telling here? And uh, as we're on the hunt, the story may change. But at every point of the hunt, I'm going, okay, what's the story right now? What are we doing? We're walking around. Okay, how do I tell this story? Yeah. We're sitting at a water hole. Okay, how do I tell this story? How do I connect this to the previous story? How do I let this set up for, you know, especially with a hunting situation, you may get an animal, you may not get an animal. Mm -hmm. How do I set up for both those possibilities? And then one of those happens, you go, okay, how do I connect all these things? What's the story here? And if you're not thinking that way, you're you're probably thinking, well, I'm going to tell this story with interviews or I'm going to tell this story with voiceover. Well, if you think that way, if you're in that mindset, you don't produce good content in the field because you use voiceover and you use interviews just like you use slow motion. You use it as a crutch. Well, I know when we developed this new show concept, I I talked to you a little bit about it and you said, don't do the interviews Mm because we had done the interviews for for all of our previous content. And I think most people, I don't think, I I don't like interviews. I try not to do them. And, And I told you the only time I do do them is when they add value. Right. If you can tell a story without them, absolutely tell the story without them. Yeah, so you really challenged me to do that, which at first I was like, I don't really, That's it was scary to me mm-hmm. to try to do that, uh, especially the the stopping people in the field and getting, you know, really, I guess, being a little bit obtrusive sometimes. Yeah. Well, you have, I mean, that's uh, part of the job. You right. Just, people are going to not like you. And I tell people that, that I've never worked before. I'm like, there's probably going to be a point in this hunt if it doesn't go your way, you're not going to like me. But I'm here you know, to tell a story, and if it's not something you want, tell me, okay, I don't want this on camera, and then I'll stop. Mm-hmm. But until you tell me that, I'm, I'm telling the story. you know. And um, <laughs> like, like I was showing you that, that snake crawling over my hunter in Colorado and over Jason's boot. I told him the snake was there, but I filmed it. I wasn't helping him. <laughs> you know. And if he just said, don't film this thing, you know, come help me get this thing off, I would have. But I'm like, this is entirely too good of an opportunity for television. So right. absolutely, I'd film this. And, uh, you know, I had, you know, one of the hunters, or one of my guys on the boat in Louisiana fell in the water. And uh, I tell the story, you know, what happened? Why'd you fall in? What made you fall in? What could we have done different? You know, that sometimes kind of... it, that's really uncomfortable, especially oh, after. Was, yeah, it was for him. You know, he didn't, and he didn't like it. But I think after the fact, once he sees how it turns out and how it gets spun is he shot a really big fish and it was bigger than he thought it was. And, uh, it pulled him in. And I think that's saying something. You have a fish that big that pulls you in. Um, I think that tells a good story. So that's my, that's my take on it. Um, I just, I think it goes back to telling a story is a combination of your slow-mo of your drone of your time lapses, and a huge portion of that is content spoken dialogue in the field. And it's a mixture of all those things. And it took me a long time 
to master that, which I don't, I'll say master that. I don't feel like I'm a master at it now, but I feel like I'm, I'm efficient at it. I can always be better. Absolutely can always be better. And I can always learn, you know, um, I always want to be willing to learn. That's why I like doing stuff like this with you. And like when I did what, what it did this with Jim is I take this as an opportunity, not only to try and help somebody that I don't feel like I had the opportunity to do when I was coming up, but, uh, to learn. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm, there's been things that you've done that I've seen that, you know, I can learn from, you know, that back blaze thing. You taught me that. I mean, even if that's not a, ta- I mean, it's a tangible thing. It's not something that maybe like a, not a skill that I learned, but something. you wouldn't have came. I wouldn't have known about that. And, uh, you know, I feel like if you're not willing to learn, if you're not willing to be vulnerable in some, you know, some aspects, because I'll be the first one to tell you, I'm not the best shooter and I'm not the best editor. I can tell you right now, better shooters than me and better editors than me. I've told you. Um, you know, if I had a, you know, if you told me if I had that, you asked me that question at lunch, if, the, you know, money was no object and I had a, you know, mm-hmm. a you know, production to do, I'd want to be one of the shooters, but I know who I'd hire to be that second shooter and I'd be the B shooter. And I know how I'd hire to be the producer. It wouldn't be me. I know how I'd hire to edit it. It wouldn't be me. So um, I'll be the first to tell you. I, I, I want to, this is, I want to learn and I want to go at it with a good attitude. What we talked about in the truck. We've talked about a lot of stuff this week. We have. Well, that's why I came here. Yeah, going, going, going at things with a good attitude. And that being, you know, the driver of it and trying to be the best that you can be. You know, you're a, you're a big uh bike rider mm-hmm. and you were talking to me about we were kind of talking about the human potential about you know how you said that you would slow down and you're like why did i slow down did i need to slow down did i have to rest i think that kind of goes back to your skill set you know whether okay do i want to go watch another youtube video and learn some more or ask that question or put myself out there and say hey i might not be as good as i am some people aren't willing to do that their ego gets in front of them i don't i'm not going to do that well, have so, you know, I came here with that edit, mm-hmm. and uh, what having anybody watch anything you make and sitting there and watch sitting there and watching somebody watch something you made mm-hmm. is nerve wracking. Oh yeah. Um, but then saying, "Hey, tear it apart," it's a scary thing to have happen. You didn't say tear it uh, apart. You said tear it apart, not like almost like you didn't say it jokingly, but you thought I might have taken it jokingly, and you said. No, I'm serious. I want you to tear this apart. Like oh, I do. Yeah. I and maybe that's my personality. Well, and, 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 but but the, I, the, I want very few people want you to do that. Well, I want that because yeah, I I love it when somebody says I did a good video. Mm-hmm. Well, I want all my videos to be good, mm-hmm. and it makes me feel nice and warm and fuzzy inside when yeah. somebody's like, "I really like that video you made." And I'm like, "Oh, thank but you." But you don't want to tell you that because it's a little old grandma. Oh, you did such a good job, right? Hired. Yeah, so good. yeah. I that one little part where he shot the deer. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think I want to know what, what was it that was not good? Cause that's where you improve. That's where I want to see what parts of this sucked. What didn't work? What shots were not good? What cuts were not good? What, you know, what in this is not good? Because then you go, okay, this is how I improve. This is the things that I need to work on. And that's more valuable to me than having somebody say that's good. You know, especially when you, ask for feedback when i ask for feedback i want to know you know what what was didn't work Mm -hmm. and that's you know that's really valuable to me um 
I guess it's valuable to know what things do work too, so you know to do more of that stuff. So, you know, and all everybody likes to hear what's good about them. So yeah, well, and and I'm the same way. I I, I love to hear, and I love showing people videos that I'm proud of, mm-hmm. and I've got a couple I'm very proud of, and I show them to everybody. Um, and then I've got a couple that. I may not be proud of, and it might not be any fault of my own. It might have been one of those situations where it was for a client, and they wanted a certain certain things done in a certain way. And I'm just like, I know, I'll do it because you're paying me, but it's not what I would do. Um, but yeah, everybody loves to know they did a good job. But I'm just like you. I don't want somebody to say I did a good job because they want me to feel warm and fuzzy. I want to be like, my wife's my biggest critic. She'll watch something, because she'll be like, I don't like that. That's That's, I'm bored. <laughs> she does she does it all the time because I always get her to watch it. Mm-hmm. And it's usually after I get done up here late at night and I'll export it and I'll put it on my phone and I'll take it down there and let her watch it. She'll be laying there in the bed and she won't say a word. She'll hand it back to me. That was good. Or, eh, that was okay. Or she'll stop it in the middle. If she ever stops, it's not good. <laughs> I don't like that. I don't like how he said that. He looks stupid. Or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, She's definitely, she'll tell you. She'll tell you if she doesn't like something, but I think we all need somebody like that. And, and I think the I, other thing we I, people need to do also is continually analyze your own work. Yeah. And analyze how you shoot things and how you edit things, mm-hmm. you know, and really just look at that and go, what, and be honest about it. Am I using high speed as a crutch? Am I, huh. am I missing this? Am I not doing that? High, and if you are using high speed as a crutch and you know you are. Or you're using your DSLR and shooting everything really shallow and rack focusing. If that's the only thing you know how to do, that's okay. Sure. Everybody was there at one point. Everybody was at the point where they're like, I'm really good at this one thing, but I can't put all the pieces together. That's okay. That's why I encourage people when I get, God, I can't tell you how many I get a week or a month. I say, hey, man, will you check this video out and let me know what you think? And I will. And most of the time, it's from guys that are extremely green and it's usually a music video and I'll always say, Hey man, that was shot really well. You know, next time try and do this, this and this, or Hey, I like that one part where you did this, but I'll always be honest with them, you know, because we've always been there and I, and I'll be honest, most of my critiques are subjective. I have certain things that I like and certain things that I don't like. Um, so it's just like that kind of going back to, kind of segueing into the when to, when and when not to shoot medium mm-hmm. um to kind of to go into that like the one thing that I, the one gripe i had about what you did was you had one b-roll shot one recreate where you had a shot of um one of the hunters looking in at right before they took the shot and you recreated it after the fact and it was just it was a high speed shot and you kind of had some movement in it which i, I loved Any, anytime you can add movement you should you added movement, but one of the pet peeves I had was he just obviously wasn't a very good actor, which most hunters aren't. That's I mean, that's that's to be expected. Second thing was the shot, other than being in high speed and having movement, which are ways of making things a little more cinematic. But other than that, it was just a blah, just kind of a medium shot. Didn't look like you had a whole lot of thought put into it. And I said, I, I don't like this shot because of those reasons, but I feel like if you would have pushed in and done a really tight shot of his eyes or, you know, some sort of really tight shot of hands or a gritty, dirty, you know, something there, I would have been okay with it. 
the shot would have fit the same place. It would have still told the same story, but it would have been a more cinematic shot if you'd have pushed in tight or super tight, Mm -hmm. or even would have been really, really wide where they're like small in the frame and you're showing the big, you know, the spot that they're in right before the shot happens. And, you know, we kind of got to talking about when I shoot wide and why I shoot, or I mean medium, not wide, when and why to shoot medium. You know, most of the time I'm shooting medium is when I'm getting dialogue, when I'm getting somebody to talk. You know, you're like chest up, getting somebody to talk. I consider that a medium shot. If I'm not getting dialogue, the only time I'll get medium shots, and there's exceptions to the rule, but really the only time I'm getting medium shots is when I'm on a long lens pushed all the way in with a really shallow depth of field. That way I can really blow my background out and I can really pull focus on what I want the eye to look at. So I add that cinematic value into that. Now I might add high speed and motion into that as well, but at the bare minimum, only time I'm going to shoot medium is pushed in long, shallow, where only my subject or what I want you to look at is in focus. And the reason is because if everything's shot medium, if everything's shot from the belly button up on somebody or on a, you know, whatever the, you know, whatever your subject is, Everything looks the same. That's why I say wide, medium, tight, wide, medium, tight, wide, medium, tight, wide, medium, tight. Medium is reserved for, to me for those long lens style shots and for dialogue. And even when I'm doing dialogue, you noticed. What did I, what do, I do when I'm doing dialogue in medium? You move around. I move around, yeah. Which is, is not instinctual. I, I noticed it because generally when I shoot the dialogue my first instinct is to just stand as straight and as locked down as I can when I'm doing that. And I was noticing that you're kind of swaying Mm -hmm. back and forth. You know, you'd you'd kind of sway off to the right or kind of do a little rotate to one side of their face and then come back to the other side and maybe get a little closer or a little further. Uh, So that was interesting to me. So I asked you why you did that yeah and and really the 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 quick answer the short answer the simple answer to that is i feel like it's a way to hide any imperfections in the subject or in the shooting is if there's some constant motion and really when you're talking to somebody are you ever sitting perfectly still staring a hole in them no you're not you have natural head movement you have you're talking with your hands you're looking at them, you're looking away, you're, you know, there's constantly movement when you're talking to somebody. So why would my camera, when I'm hand-holding my camera, this is not when I'm on a tripod, this is when I'm hand-holding a camera getting dialogue, like on that bow fishing trip or on an elk hunt when you're spotting a stocking or on a turkey hunt when I'm getting somebody to talk. I'm never locked down on a tripod. I'm in the field hand-holding the camera and I'm always swaying, moving my hips backwards and forwards. Not only might be moving four to six inches one way or the other and i always keep my subject framed headroom correctly you know either right third or left third but there's always that subtle movement and i just feel like it not only does it might hide imperfections but it gives you that subtle natural movement and i think it's just more pleasing to the eye uh and i honestly i do it subconsciously now i don't even think about it i've just done it so much to where and I feel like when you try and rigidly hold your camera and hold it locked down, there's actually like fidgets in your camera. Like it almost has shake in the camera when you try and do that. 
if you're in constant motion in your fluid, it almost makes your image more stable than if you tried to stand there, be rigid, and hold it. So that's really the reason that I do it. Um, last thing I want to talk about with you is kind of the editing process. And, you know, I was telling you about how I build blocks. Mm-hmm. And had, had you kind of noticed that in your editing about building blocks? What, to, when we were editing with you? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I definitely see you building well, those had blocks. You not, do you notice that in your editing? Do you kind of edit that way? Is that kind of a concept that you are aware of? Or is that something that was kind of new to you? Or did you almost subconsciously do it and not even realize it? I think I definitely, right now, I I guess I kind of edit in in two different blocks. Um, I, I like to edit each of my scenes in their own timeline because it helps me visually to mm-hmm. stay where I'm at. Um, and it just kind of, I'm a little OCD. And so a little bit, a little, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I just like to have a real good handle on, on everything. So, you know, I, I like to put different types of audio and different types of audio channels. I like to keep everything, uh, separate, especially during rough cut stages where, I'm really moving things around. I, I like to keep each scene in their own, their own uh, timeline, and then and then progress through there. So in that in that way, I there's that block. So that video that we watched, I guess, would have four blocks, mm-hmm. four blocks like that: the intro, uh, the hunt, the first evening hunt, the morning hunt, and then the wrap up. And then within those, I guess subconsciously, I have the blocks where. You know, the first evening hunt, we've got a walk in to a water hole and then the stock and kill and then the post kill kind of wrap up of that. So there's three kind of micro blocks in there. Well, and but maybe, I'm not as... maybe a better word for block is scene. Maybe scene's a better word mm-hmm. to make more sense. Yeah, I guess in, in that regard, I do. I never thought of it in that yeah. way. I just kind of did it that way. Uh, but having you pointed out was I noticed that. And it, yeah, and I like, I like the fact that you pointed it out and put it at the front of my head so I could think about that. Mm-hmm. Well, in the way that I kind of do it to kind of explain it the best I can audibly instead of visually is when I'm editing, I essentially am I built, I'm building small blocks or scenes. Um, and what I do is I build each one of them to where they're 30 seconds to a minute and a half. Usually it's going to be my longest scene. And I will build those, and I'll usually have at least one song, maybe two songs in that time frame. Um, I don't like letting songs run over a minute and a half, two minutes. I just like to switch them out. I almost would sw- I'll probably switch them out sooner than that. But the way that you build the block is each scene has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Each show or film or short has a beginning, a middle, and an end. So it's literally you're building many scenes that all stitch together, and you transition from one scene to another. And each block is self-contained in a way to where the song at the beginning of that scene ends at the end of that scene. To where when I go into the next scene in editing, if I needed to cut out a whole scene, it's very easy to do that in post-production. I don't have to go in and re-edit a bunch of stuff. I literally go in, select that block or scene, delete it, hit my A key, slide everything over. We're right back to going. And it's like it never happened. I'm in five seconds. I could take that scene out, 
and it was like it never existed. Or you could just move it. Or move it. Yeah, move it to a late, you know, I can change time. I can essentially time warp and make something happen earlier or later in the, you know, in the show. Um, but, you know, Chance taught me that of how to build blocks, how to make them essentially interchangeable. It's like it's a big kind of Tetris thing where you're moving your blocks back and forth and you're using those blocks or scenes. I keep saying blocks, but when you look at it visually on the timeline, it looks it like looks a block, like block, but it's actually when you're watching it, it's a scene. So I can take those scenes and I can move them around. I can lengthen them. I can shorten them and I can go to certain scenes when I need to gain or add time and I can add time to a certain scene and I don't have to re-edit a whole section of my video. It's just that one little block and it simplifies everything in editing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just something that I've learned. Chance essentially showed me how and why, and then I've kind of perfected it, I guess, over the years of how I do it. And it's maybe it's my style. Um, and I, I think that's Walt Gabbard said that to me one time as he's doing a bunch of stuff at Mossy Oak, and he said, I'm just I want to make sure that everything doesn't look like Walt did it. And I want to get to the place to where when I put stuff out, it doesn't look like Caleb did it. I don't want people to think well, yeah, Caleb did that. It looks exactly like something he does. Mm-hmm. I want everything to be its own standalone thing. And kind of like you said of editing to music, you almost try not to edit to music now because you do it subconsciously and you do it so much. You don't want to get in the habit of using music as your crutch. Yeah, you, I, can, you can get lazy and kind of, um, you know, use anything as a crutch that you get comfortable with and that makes things easy. Um but but like you said earlier, I think you constantly need to reevaluate what you're doing and continue to improve. Well, I had some people look at my videos, and the thing they were saying was it just felt like they got hit in the face with it. Yeah. They just felt like they had been bombarded by by content, I guess. Yeah. You know, by shots. And I thought, okay, well, why is that? Is my Am I editing too fast? Am I not giving them the right information? Am I giving them too much information? And uh, I got kind of to looking around at, you know, different things and editing to music and not editing to music is kind of a big debate. Or uh, or not adding those pace changes in, mm-hmm. not giving people time to breathe. You know, that's a big part of it. If you're freaking rock and roll dubstep music to crazy things for three solid minutes, it's a lot for somebody. But if you come in hard for 30 seconds and then give a good one-minute dialogue piece of what you're doing, where you're going, and then go back into some hard-hitting music, You, some, some people can consume that a little bit better than mm-hmm. just, ah, the whole time. Um, and, I mean, everybody, I've been in that rut. I've looked, I've got done with something to look back, and I've got a, a one-minute montage because I needed to build time, and I'm like, one-minute montage, Caleb, really? How many times have you told people not to do a freaking montage? And they, look, look what you just did, you know? <laughs> and, and, I, and I say, when I say montage... It's literally clips laid down to music with no sound design whatsoever. It's a music video. It's no, there's nothing else to it. But when you when you do, when you put together a montage and you add dialogue and you tell a story with it, that's not a montage anymore. When you've got dialogue and you've got good ambient, you've got good sound design, and you've got you know the occasional you know piece of dialogue that makes sense, that's not a montage. A montage is just twenty clips strung together over music. That's not editing. Well, I think one of the things that's cool and that struck me or that I try to do is, you know, look at Hollywood and how the your favorite movies, the most iconic movies, and just look at them and go, 
and really analyze them and you start to realize that oftentimes they're not using all of these they're not using slow-mo all over the place they're not using montages all over the place they're not using they're, cross dissolves they're not using cross dissolves <laughs> they're not using you know and obviously there's exceptions to the rule but yeah. then you go okay why did they do that mm-hmm. what's the point a lot of the times you have a montage and if you look at that montage, there's a reason they did that montage. That montage tells a story within itself mm-hmm. or moves something along or gets it's you somewhere. It's not just a bunch of pretty clips of deer and leaves right. strung to a, a, a good-sounding song. Yeah, and so you just go, okay, well, they make multi-millions of dollars on these movies, and they're really they're not doing anything crazy in the edit room. They're doing the fundamentals very well, and they're being uh, deliberate and mindful of the story and and how to move it along and what's important yeah. and always keeping that in their in their brain. And that kind of goes to one of the last things that we talked about which was just taking more time on a project add value. You said, you know, you did that really fast or how long does it take you to do a web show? You asked me something like that. And my answer was I found that when I edit something, no, it's because you said that you're doing something, you're almost editing something three times. Yeah. You know, you're almost editing things to where you do a version, then a second version, and then a third version. Uh, no music, a music, and a like a cut down version of that or something. I can't remember what you said. Yeah, and that's some of that is because of my challenge to myself to do these scenes without music. Yeah. Um, because inherently trying to find pace, it and cutting it and to good, length, and finding good music. It is takes some time. So yeah, I would do I do one cut. I guess you'd call it the rough cut. Yeah. And that's just me telling the story the first time, leaving lots of room to breathe, putting all the stuff in there that I think could be useful. I mean the entire hunt. And what did I say? When I said did you said you edited it three times, what did I say? You said something like, Holy crap. You're like, <laughs> I said, I'd lose my mind. I would lose my mind. <laughs> and kind of my reason for that was I feel like at the point where I'm at to where I can go through it the first time I can, I don't really rough cut. I'll rough cut those blocks or scenes. Like I'll drop in a couple of clips there and then I'll build that scene. I'll go to the next one. Like I'll, I won't do a whole rough cut. Like a lot of guys like rough cutters. They'll have an editor rough cut. They'll drop in all of the main clips into a timeline, just lay them there. And then they'll have another editor come in and essentially finish. He'll go through and take those clips and clean them up and put music to them and transition in and out and do all those things. Like I couldn't, I don't think I could do that. It, that would drive me nuts. I, I like to do it start to finish, like very beginning to end. Um, and, and the reason is I've got to the place to where I can edit it the first time. And once I get through it and I get my graphics, I get my color, I get everything. If I took more time, I could take time to the end of time and I'd never be happy with it. But I've found that if you take that, if you take extra time to do something, a significant amount of extra time, that extra time will not add enough value to the project to warrant that extra time. So I will, I know about how long things are going to take me, and I usually get them done in about that amount of time. Now, will I take an extra 30 minutes to go back through it and tweak a few things? Yeah. But if I kept doing that, and I took a whole extra day to do that, to, to do that, to, to make things better. That extra day 
would not add enough value to that project to where it was worth me taking an extra day, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've found over however many hundreds or thousands of videos that I've done to where I know when I get through with what you consider your rough cut, my edit is, I would say, 85% done. All I have to do then is I go back through and I color graphics, clean up audio, maybe add in some of my sound design, and it's done. Do you think that's because, do you you feel like you trust your instincts more? Um, maybe, and I think it also goes back to what we said the first very beginning about polished and unpolished. It goes back to the deadline and whether or not I can make money. The more time I take on it, the less money I'm going to make. You know, because I have things essentially in the queue that once I get this one done, I have to do the next one and the next one, and the next one. And I could take an eternity on them. And if I had enough, a budget to warrant an amount of time and value to add, absolutely. But when you're doing things that are in the budget that I'm doing them and the time frame I, I'm expected to do them in, I kind of have to, you know, I don't have a choice. So it's, um, and, and you said that you want to get faster and you want to, get better and I think those two things kind of go hand in hand you start trusting yourself more um, you learn the shortcuts more you learn the program better and you become a better shooter in the field mm -hmm. I mean I think which I've said this a hundred times a great production is 70% how it's shot in the field an editor can only do so much if he doesn't have something he can't create it out of thin air you know if he doesn't have a story that represents a certain thing he can't create that he has to have it or he can't tell that story um so that's kind of you know my two cents on that whole thing but it, you know overall what's the what's your takeaway from the week i mean good week glad you came down yeah i had a lot of fun it was real i have a lot of things to take away to work on that i want to work on for myself uh you know just a lot of different little tips Dude, and we haven't talked and... about wyoming yet we forgot to talk about wyoming about the wyoming film oh yeah so I even wrote I even wrote it in my notes and just remembered it without looking at my notes. That's there you like, go. That's freaking professional. Bam. Um, so, well, I appreciate you saying that you enjoyed your time here, first of all. Um, I'm glad you came down. I thoroughly enjoyed it and appreciate the heck out of the help. Um, Ryers took a blue million pictures the last couple of, uh, last couple of days, so y'all will be seeing those in the days to come. A lot of pictures of me, which I was uncomfortable with. I'm not. You told me to get behind the scenes. I, yeah, but we like, were there, and you. Not I of asked my you. face. I don't like seeing my face. But anyway, that's part of the story, yeah, Caleb. Okay, I know. Uh, well, you're talking to some. I, I, you can't give me that excuse. Okay, <laughs> so um, that's why I'm behind the camera, not in front of it. <laughs> you gave me a camera. You said I asked you. I said, Caleb, what? What do you want me to I, do and here? My, and I think you my said, words were, take me some, take some good pictures, and maybe get a couple behind the scenes. That was it. You were standing two feet from the dude. <laughs> How am I supposed to get get pictures while right, you're two feet right, there without right. you in it? Well, anyway, so when y'all see my ugly mug, it's because of Ryer. But anyway, so another reason that Ryer came down is the plan is we're still waiting on some details on where we're going and all that good stuff. But we're doing, I drew a Wyoming, uh, I just said I'm not the guy on camera. And this is actually going to be me and Mark on camera. So. I guess I get shot to crap. But anyway. I'm going to make sure I do all the close-ups you want of your face. <laughs> Please all of them. don't. Please and if you say, you if you're forget, like. You forget I'm going to be editing this too, if, so I'll cut them out. <laughs> if, you're, if you say, 
if you say why are you getting that close up i'll just point to this podcast and say hey you didn't like my medium yeah. so i'm doing it this way yeah, now that's funny well <laughs> i guess i did it to myself so ryer is going to be producing we're going to try and shoot a film we think we're going to put it in the badlands film festival so Ensley, if you're listening i'm not committing to it but i'm not not committing to it um and y'all are gonna put it. Y'all are gonna make it a uh, community show, mm-hmm. and then um, I'm gonna do some stuff for Rambo and Diamond Blade and place and, and some people I work with all of them there. So it's kind of like a triple quadruple dip while we're there, which is good. It really stretches everybody's dollar too. So, um, but we've essentially been planning that as well. We sat down and we've got a bunch of production elements we want to try and do. Mm-hmm. How many of them we'll actually get to do is gonna depend on. First of all, how the hunting is, how much time we have. Um, and we need to expand on that some more. We've got a little more to do. And I think we got we got to rope Mark into some of it, too, to make sure that he's on the same page. Um, but that's going to be fun. I'm going to, I'm excited about it. Um, or we'll be shooting it all on uh, FS5, FS7. Um, I've got a couple other little gadgets and gizmos I might want to try and get for that trip. But really, it's going to be a passion project. One that we're not really going to make any money on, but we're going to have fun doing it and uh, hopefully kill an elk. I hope so. Yeah, I really hope so. Really, 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 really hope so. Because I killed one last year and I've got the bug now. I mean, I'm pretty much a professional elk hunter now. I mean, let's be honest. Killed one elk. I mean, heck, one out of nine trips. So I'm batting, what, less than 100 or a little over 100. It took, it took, uh, it took me three trips three to trips. film the first well, one. Well, that was not, I, my, mine took, my elk took nine trips between filming and hunting. So I had done three, no, yeah, three hunting trips and six filming trips for elk. And I had yet to film one die or shoot one myself. It took the ninth, ninth trip. Oh, you didn't, it. you, you hadn't got one on film no. before that? We shot, we Chuck shot one in the shoulder that we never found. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'd never filmed one. I just kind of, I assumed that you had probably filmed no, we've been really, thousands of them. No, God, <laughs> no. We've been really close, but there's something else, man. And we've been on some stupid good ground. I mean, we've, we'd paid a lot of money for some outfitted hunts and still not still not got it. I mean, seen a bunch of elk and had elk within range before, but. I guess that's why they call it hunt and not killing, right? No doubt, no doubt. And then, yeah, Chuck's still haunted by that one in Colorado. They shot in the shoulder. It was a big bull, too. Gosh, over the shoulder. Pretty footage around the shoulder. Oh, heartbreaking. Um, I wish I had the footage I'd show you because it was, we thought we got him and we didn't. But yeah, so we've been planning that and I'm really excited about that. I am too. September is literally 45 days away from that hunt. Wait, we're, we're 44 days away from that hunt right now. So it is getting close. Oh my gosh, it's going to be here before we know it. So I am logistically trying to figure out how I'm going to get there because my, Best friend Andre, I'm in his wedding, and he decided to make his wedding September the 15th, and I could kill him for it. But we're supposed to start Wyoming September 17th, and it's a 20-plus-hour drive to get there. So I've got 48 hours to make a 24-hour drive. So I guess we'll just man up and do it. Two on, one off? I guess. Or one on, one off, I guess. That would be the math. I just, what we were talking about, just mind over matter, man. Just go. It's elk hunting on the end of it, so it won't matter. I might be sucking wind the first day, but I'll uh, we'll make it. We'll we'll figure out a way to do it. So um, anyway, we've got some planning to do for that one. 
And uh, actually, we're about to record a second podcast. So if you're hearing this one, the one that comes after this, we're going to be talking specifically about Western filming and filming Western hunts. Um, like I said, I've got about nine trips under my belt, and Ryder's got three or four. So three, are, three. So we are by no means an authority on this, but I feel like I have some. Value. I don't know. I I would. I'd say you're an authority. No. I, well, I've not done near as many as guys that I know. Uh-oh. You know, I've not done even close to guys that I know, you know, but I feel like I've done enough of them to know, know what not to do. Um, so I'll essentially go over a couple of things that it probably, which heck we're already, we're an hour and 15 minutes into this one. Sorry guys. So, yeah. So it won't be, it probably won't be near as long as this one, but we'll talk about a couple of things about really spawn stock hunting, Western hunting gear wise and, uh, go from there. But dude, I appreciate you being on for this one coming out. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for having me out here. (laughs)